Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey friends, I am so happy to be here recording today. We are going to talk about the gut-skin connection. So I know a lot of you are anxiously awaiting this episode. We've been talking about it on Instagram. You've given me your feedback. Um, And because it's such a large topic, I'm going to be splitting it up into two different shows. So today is part one, and then next week will be part two, just so we're not doing like a two-hour episode like a Friday night feature film. We don't need that. So part one is today. And when it comes to these meaty topics, it really does require time. Um, Just last week, I had to write 400 words for a local magazine about gut immune connection, which was so hard for me. It's so challenging to take complex information, complex subject matter, and boil it down into a few hundred words. And I kind of feel like that's part of the reason why so many people are confused about nutrition. They're getting so much of their information from what I call soundbite nutrition, where they like read a headline or they, you know, read a blog title or they see something like a meme on social media, and then they pull that information into their brains. Reading short blogs, like something on Mind Body Green or an overly simplified magazine article can be a really good way to introduce people to concepts that they might not have been exposed to, but it really doesn't provide much context. And one, one thing that I noticed, this is like in the earlier days of my practice, I was getting questions that were really challenging to answer. So like, what's the healthiest veggie to eat? Or um, do you think fruit is good or bad? And people expected me to have this really quick and easy answer or this sound bite because that's what they were so used to consuming. And I would just stutter out. My brain would like short circuit because there's no easy way to answer that question. My classic responses would always be, one, it depends, and two, how much time do you have? Because it takes time to answer these questions, to really give them due diligence um, and to talk about how different, you know, the answer is going to be different depending on your individual unique context. So it was at this point that I really realized um, that I wanted to start a podcast when I realized I could not, like don't have the capacity to deliver soundbite nutrition. Like I can't boil things down to its most like basic concepts. So I wanted to start a podcast. So I had the space and the time to give topics, the attention and the in-depth explanation that they really require 
doing deep dives is like my whole steez. That's my whole shtick, exploring concepts, providing context. It's how I present information to my paid clients. It's how I present information in my paid programs. And it's how I will present information here. If you think about the intermittent fasting episode that I did, that was another two-parter. I, I can't take a hard stance on intermittent fasting. So if somebody's like, what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? I'm like, again, it depends on how much time do you have? Because I'm, I'm running your hormone revival right now. And after looking at people's labs, I'm telling some people to tinker around with fasting. And I'm telling other people, absolutely hard stop. You should not be fasting. But it really depends on the individual in question. And so when I'm attempting to answer questions on the podcast, I have to explore a lot of different um, a, a lot of different avenues, let's say that. So I got a DM last week from somebody letting me know that they found my introductions too long to the podcasts. And she went on to say that some people are limited on time. And I would argue that most people are limited on time, especially these days, right? That's not, it's not really a unique quality to be, to feel like you're pressed for time. Like a lot of us feel that way. Take it from somebody who is building an academy while running group programs, home with my kiddo, doing remote learning and producing a weekly podcast. Like I really understand the limited time concept like more than you know, trust me, I get it. And that's why I am so super grateful for those of you who show up week after week. And even for those of you who are just tuning in when it's a subject that you're interested in, because I know how limited your time is and how value, valuable your time is. Like I really get that and I never take that for granted. I truly, truly don't. But at the same time, I'm not going to compromise my integrity to give you the Reader's Digest version of what I have to say. We've whittled down health and nutrition so much, and it really hasn't helped us. So that's just not something that I'm going to do here on this show. You can find that in, in many other places, but my skill set and my passion truly is creating long-form content. So... That is how I will continue to show up here on the show. And whether you're new to the show or, you know, you're an old season vet, I appreciate your presence here. I appreciate your time. And I truly thank you for, for being here. Um, another reason that some of the intros are, are on the longer side is because this is the one place that I have to connect with my audience. And I want to connect with you guys. It's really important for me to like tell you what's good, tell you what's coming up so you don't miss out on things. So a question that I'm getting a lot is when's the next carb compatibility project? So right now I'm going to utilize this intro to my podcast to give you that answer. Um, the next CCP is going to be in January, right at the start of January. I usually open up registration a couple of weeks prior. So like right around the holidays, um, you can check that out. And I'm excited about that one. We get into metabolic health, blood sugar regulation, all that good stuff. And then the next Your Hormone Revival will be in February and I will open up registration in January, but I only open up registration to the people on the list. So you have to get onto the list through my website, erinholthealth.com forward slash hormones. The last, the current round sold out in 48 hours. That is no word of a lie. So if you are thinking about getting in on this, then definitely get on the list. 
Um, I don't, um, I do not open up registration to the public. Um, I always open it up to the list first. So heads up there and, um, also make sure you add Aaron at Aaron Holt Health to your safe sender list. Um, sometimes that will end up in spam and there's really not a whole lot I can do about that on my end, unfortunately. So add that to the safe sender list. And then finally, a quick update. Um, we have shifted the release date of this podcast to Tuesday. So we were on Thursdays. Now we're on Tuesdays, 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That schedule just works better with my assistant. And that's pretty important because she is busy creating show notes for you guys. So we're trying to make this, um, make the show notes a little bit better, a little bit more zhuzhed up. She is creating timestamps for every episode moving forward. And by the way, that's another thing. If you don't like to listen to me talk, in the beginning and you just want to utilize this podcast for information, um, the information that I freely provide. (laughs) If you hate me, but you love my information, then there's now going to be timestamps on all of the shows. And, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but on your podcast app, there's also a fast forward button. So you can just click that and skip, skip, skip right on through. So we are switching things over a little bit to create better show notes for you. Listen, I started this podcast three years ago. Actually, like three years ago, almost to the day is when we released our first episode. So that's kind of exciting, Um, at least to the day that I'm recording this. So my business has grown a lot in three years, and I don't have the time availability for some of the things that I used to have. So I do have to outsource Um, And this is something I've tasked out to my assistant, Lauren, who is like the real MVP. Honestly, if I did not have Lauren right now, um, I would have had like a legitimate nervous breakdown. Um, She is everything. I feel like I should do a Strictly Biz episode on talking about hiring an assistant because I dragged my feet for years and it has been such a freaking gift to have somebody uh, to help me out with my business. Um, just with everything on my plate right now, I I even toyed with the idea of canceling the show or taking a, a like an open-ended hiatus. Um, I have, I just have more workload with my business than at any point before. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very time consuming process to produce a show. I think I've told you this. It takes for every hour of, um, content you get, it takes me somewhere between eight to 12 hours to produce it. So if you have limited time listening to the podcast, imagine how I feel creating the content. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. Um, but it's also something that I truly enjoy. And I get so much positive feedback from so many of you. Of course, there's always going to be like critiques from the peanut gallery and I'm getting better and better about just like not letting that affect me so much because the vast majority of feedback is super supportive and amazing and like makes me cry. Um, So I know that it's helping a lot of you, which is why I want to continue to show up and um, come back week after week. So Um, what I've done is kind of found a happy medium. I've taken on a sponsor. You've might've noticed that I've partnered with Organifi. They're the new show sponsor. And I, a pillar of my business is transparency. I don't know if you know that, but transparency is uber duber important to me. Um, that's why I I tend to be pretty, uh, 
forthcoming with a lot of like back end business stuff and just kind of what's going on in my life and all that kind of stuff. And I know that I have some creators and practitioners that listen to the show. So it's always interesting to hear it, you know, hear the business side of things, but producing a show takes time. Like I just told you that, but it also takes money, especially um, now that I'm outsourcing the show notes to just to to create more resources for all of you. Um, On average, it costs me between $150 to $200 to release this show every week. So that's about $800 a month to produce this podcast. Um, Never mind the time. That's just if we wanted to start putting like an hour, you know, like an hourly rate on my time, that would go up through the roof. But this is like what I'm cutting a check for is $800 a month to get this podcast into your ear holes. So that's where a sponsorship can come in because it allows me to do that. It allows me to continue to show up and produce. It's, um, you know, it, it kind of like pays the way. And then when you, if any of my listeners end up purchasing prod- products from my sponsor, then it allows the show to happen, to continue to happen because they, of course, are looking for a return on their investment. So I'm at the point now in my business where, yes, I love the podcast, but it's also a huge time suck. It's a big money suck. And so I have to I have to make some savvy business decisions about whether or not this makes financial sense for me. So um, again, in full transparency, that's that. And obviously I would never partner with a company that I didn't actively use myself. I have a lot of people that reach out to me that want to do collaborations or sponsorships or partnerships. And I am throwing up Jersey barriers for all of you guys all the time. I'm like, nope, you are not getting access to my audience. I don't think so. Like I have worked really hard for your trust. I do not take that for granted. So anything that I put in front of you is something that I truly believe in, that I would recommend even if I wasn't collecting a paycheck and something that I actively use. So I want you all to continue to trust me on that. Uh, But it lets me do my job. It lets me produce this show. So there you go, full transparency. It's how this stuff works. And how long has this intro been? 13 minutes? Oof. DM lady's not going to like that. All right, let's get into it. Skin, gut, connection. Had to take a sip of water. Skin is an inside job. That is the biggest takeaway from this entire episode. A lot of people think that skin is more of a topical issue. So we tend to focus on the skin itself, right? Maybe I need a better skincare routine or book more facials or something like that. And then we have conventional and allopathic medicine, which basically echoes this sentiment and tends to focus on the organ in question. Oh, it's the skin that's having the problem? All right, let's, the solution must be skin-based then. So for skin issues, the solutions are always skin-focused. Dermatology, steroids, cortisone creams, Accutanes, they're trying to work from the outside. But the truth of the matter is that skin is almost an inside job. Sometimes it's hormones, sometimes it's an overburdened detoxification pathways. Often it's gut related. Many times it's all of the above. The cool thing about functional medicine and where where this methodology excels is we take a big step back and we say, what's driving the imbalance? What are the triggers? Where did it start? How can we address the root so the organ can self heal. And these are the questions that I am asking in my practice and how I attempt to address skin issues from an inside out perspective. Now with skin imbalances, 
like I said, it could be some, it could be different things, liver and toxic burden, hormones, gut health, it could be an inflammatory diet. It could be nutrient deficiencies that are very unique to you. So something that you're eating is causing inflammation in your body that might not be causing inflammation in somebody else's body, uh, food intolerances, right? So we're going to get into all of that today. And skin is actually one of the, the first and sometimes only places to show that there is a problem in your gut. So if you're somebody dealing with skin issues, take note of that. Even if you don't have tummy troubles, the fact that you're dealing with skin issues could be indicative that there's something going on inside. And if you're a practitioner listening, I want you to really focus on that too, because sometimes folks aren't going to come to you with gut-related issues. They're not going to come to you saying, I have a gut problem. They're going to come to you saying, I have acne, or I have eczema, or I have psoriasis, or I have rosacea, right? That's the thing that's that they can see. So just, um, just be wary of that. For today, we're going to focus on the GI side of things, specifically um, looking at ways that your skin can be a sign of poor digestion, low stomach acid, leaky gut, gut pathogen or dysbiosis. Now, somebody on Instagram, Elenita.0 said, I've had so many gut issues related to adult acne, dysbiosis, infections, inflammations, leaky gut, that it can be hard to understand how they're related and which came first. With gut stuff, it feels like a chicken egg situation, or maybe it's just me. Holy moly, it is not just you. Welcome to the wide world of the human body where we have webs on top of webs and systems on top of systems. And this is why it's really challenging to do this work. My hope is that you leave today with a little bit more of an understanding of how how this all works and in what order things can start to break down and potentially where you can come in uh, and address it. Now, when somebody gets to this point of like feeling like they're throwing a ton against a wall just to see what sticks and they've tried lots of different things and they're not really moving the needle, that's when I advocate for functional testing. This is where testing can come into play so we can get more clear and specific answers. So I will mention a few tests in this episode and next week. But what I really, really, really want to underscore for most of you is that you have to look at the basics first. Remove the gut triggers, remove the individual trigger foods. Be sure you're eating appropriate nutrients to support your skin. Maybe take some basic supplementation. All of these things can be done without any testing. And I would argue that it would make sense to try these things before you go down the rabbit hole of testing. And it's important to not overlook the basics. Um, and just dive right into the testing. So I'm going to cover a lot of the basics today. And if you're not doing them, I would really encourage you to start doing those first. But then on the other side of the spectrum, people have been doing the basics for a while and they're still dealing with problems. And at that point, testing does make sense. So you can uncover really what's going on. Are you dealing with candida? Are you dealing with SIBO? Are you dealing with H. pylori? Are you dealing with all of the above? That is a super fun combo, the trifecta. That'll make your skin act a, act a damn fool, that is for sure. 
because at the end of the day, you really can't out diet hidden infections and pathogens for the most part. And that's where I see people kind of go down a slippery slope is that they're trying elimination diet after elimination diet, after healing protocol, after healing protocol without ever getting the hardcore data. So if you've had skin issues and you've been at this for a hot minute, then it probably makes sense to go the next step to get the testing. But if you haven't explored any of these concepts, start with the basic concepts. Don't overlook the basics, okay? So the very first place to start is food. Hello, I am a nutritionist. I always have to start here. Skin food. Um, our skin, first of all, has its own microbiome, which is pretty cool. And our gut microbiome, all the bacteria and the, the viruses and the um, the fungi and all the stuff living in our gut determines our skin microbiome. So our skin is influenced by the same things that our gut is. There's a super cool paper called The Gut Microbiome as a Major Regulator of the Gut-Skin Axis. And um, they go on to say that short-chain fatty acids, short-chain fatty acids, I talked pretty extensively about that in episode 78, how to eat for true gut health. But short-chain fatty acids come from um, fiber fermentation. So what happens is we eat fiber. We don't digest fiber. Human beings don't digest it. It goes all the way down to our gut critters. They ferment the fiber and then it produces something called short chain fatty acids, propionate, acetate, and butyrate. Those are all believed to play a pivotal role in determining the predominance of certain skin microbiomic profiles blah, blah, blah. That basically means like those short chain fatty acids that our bacteria make in our gut really determine what's going on at the level of our skin. So we know that there's direct influences of gut microbiome to skin microbiome. And so that episode that I was just referring to, episode 78, how to eat for true gut health, might as well be entitled how to eat for true skin health because it's essentially one in the same. So the big focus are on probiotic rich foods, prebiotic rich foods, those fibers, and then polyphenols. And I went into so much incredible detail on that episode 78. I will link it up in the show notes. I don't wanna rehash all of that here because that would take a lot of time and I know you guys are limited on time. See what I did there? So you gotta bounce around and invest your own time. If you want the information, usually how it works when you want something, you have to invest one of two things or sometimes both, money or time. If you're unwilling to invest either of them, hey, guess what? You don't get the stuff that you want for the most part. It's kind of how the world works. So anyway, um, what's interesting is that all the supplements in the literature that have had the most effectiveness on healing the gut are the same things that are powerful in restoring leaky gut. Um, I'm sorry, on healing the skin, that's what I meant to say, are the, mo the same things powerful in restoring leaky gut. So in the literature, the supplements that are, are really beneficial for the skin also have powerful effects on the gut. So we have to question, like, is it really healing the gut and then sort of by proxy healing the skin? Um, but those things would be colostrum, glutamine, collagen, and turmeric. We're going to get into leaky gut in a moment here, but... I do want to highlight turmeric and curcumin because they're really shown to have a therapeutic effect on the skin. And studies noted that there are st statistically significant improvement in skin disease severity 
in turmeric treatment groups compared with control groups. So the conditions that are examined include acne, uh, atopic dermatitis, alopecia, facial photoaging, lichen planus, psoriasis, dermatitis, and vitiligo. Vitiligo. Oh my God. I can never say that word. And then when I see it written out, I get like a straight up hot flash of stress. Um, Vitiligo. That's it. Okay. Holy moly. That was intense. (laughs) That was a wild ride over here. Um, But anyway, turmeric is anti-inflammatory. It's antimicrobial. It has antioxidant effects. It's really great for the skin. So there's a couple of different um, things that I use clinically when I'm talking about, when I'm recommending turmeric to somebody. I really like Apex Energetics Tumoro. It's a liquid supplement. Um, It's really potent high dose. You can get it on my online dispensary. Apex Energetics is a practitioner brand. So you cannot get it on the interwebs. You have to buy it through a clinician. If you try to buy it on, I would never recommend buying it on the interwebs because Amazon price gouges and you don't know exactly what you're getting uh, for these, for this particular line of products. So you can grab that on my online dispensary if you're interested. And then also Organifi's gold powder has turmeric in it. So if you'd rather go food as medicine style, take a food first approach versus supplementation, that would be a really great thing. And it's tasty too. So it's, um, I find that compliance tends to be higher in some folks when we're doing food versus supplements, just because you got to eat, right? You're always looking for a snack or like a, a warm treat. So the, the Organifi Gold Powder is a great way to go. And as a reminder, they are a sponsor of the podcast. And if you go to Organifi.com forward slash funk, you can save 15% off of their whole shebang. So heads up there. Next up, we have to talk about hydration. I'm not going to spend too much time on hydration, but I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention it because the health of our skin is really dependent on being appropriately hydrated. And our skin can really just become dry and lackluster if our bodies are dehydrated. So the first step very first step to nourishing your skin is drinking plenty of water. I do have a blog on my website. I wrote it a few years ago called How to Heal and Prevent Dry Skin. So I'm not going to get into dry skin here, but if you know that that's an issue for you, there's a lot of really good pro tips in that that blog article. And then proper nutrition. So like everything in the body, the skin thrives on specific nutrients. So specific skin nutrients would be zinc, selenium, iron, biotin, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin E. So those are your fat-soluble vitamins that are wicked important for the skin. Omega-3 fatty acids, and then also protein, all very important at um, building up collagen and just having like good, healthy skin. So you want to do that through diet first and foremost, but maybe if a a multivitamin would be... um, would be a good option for some folks as well as some like insurance for that. Uh, GLA, I want to spotlight here, gamma linolenic, <laughs> oh my God, it's a hard one today. Gamma linolenic acid, GLA. It's kind of an unsung hero when it comes to skin health and supplementing with GLA has been shown to improve dry skin. It's been shown to 
improve dermatitis and eczema. So that could be something to do. And the way that you can do it, you can either get pills like uh, capsules of oil, borage oil, evening primrose oil, black currant oil, but hemp seed oil also is very high in GLA. And so um, what I like to do is buy hemp seed oil, get it in a dark glass bottle, keep it in the refrigerator, and then use it to make salad dressings. It's not something you would necessarily want to heat up, but um, for cold purposes like salad dressings, it's great. And I think it's kind of tasty. It has a really unique, um, almost nutty flavor. So those would all be options for you um, to work into rotation for skin health. Um, the, The downside is that our modern diets are lacking in many of those important skin nutrients. And on top of that, we're eating lots of foods that promote inflammation. So skin conditions are tied to gut health several different ways, and one of which is inflammation. Um, So we really have to think about where the inflammation is coming from. So it could be digestion issues, it could be microbiome dysbiosis, it could be overt pathogens in the gut, it could be leaky gut. All of those things can go hand in hand with inflammation. And the way that the gut affects skin is through the immune system, through cytokine response, through T cells, through inflammation. We could have acute inflammation or chronic inflammation. So acute inflammation is like, oh, I cut my arm and now there's an inflammatory response happening. Chronic inflammation is kind of just like this low grade, this low burn inflammation that's happening in the body throughout the entire body or in choice areas of the body ongoing. And that's what skin issues like rosacea or acne or eczema tend to be. It's usually systemic chronic inflammatory conditions. And since skin conditions are often an issue of systemic inflammation, in order to heal the skin, you must remove or dramatically reduce anything that's triggering the inflammation. So you have to remove the irritants in order to heal the gut and to heal the skin. And the cool thing about the gut is that it's self-healing. And I always like to underscore this because we're so fixated on what can go wrong in our bodies that we sometimes forget all of the ways that things can go right. Our bodies are designed to self-heal. Unfortunately, we we kind of throw so much stuff their way that we can interrupt this process of self-healing. Uh, but the gut itself, the lining of the gut can regenerate every few days. The issue is that if it's constantly being exposed to triggers, it's going to be hard or damn near impossible to heal. So I always think of it as like a brick wall. If we're taking bricks out faster than we're putting bricks back in, then we don't have a very good barrier system. We don't have a very good wall. That's when the wall gets leaky. That's when the wall gets permeable. So we, we need to stop pulling bricks out. We have to stop the influx of triggers, of inflammatory things that are happening at the level of the gut. The very first step in healing the skin is switching over to a nutrient-dense whole food diet that provides all of the nutrients your skin needs while also limiting processed foods that can contribute to inflammation in the gut and in the body. So things like pro-inflammatory foods would, would be things like refined sugars, processed carbohydrates, omega-6 fats, um, any additives, um, synthetic flavors, coloring, 
food dyes, all of that is very pro-inflammatory. And then of course, any diets that are low in fiber aren't going to be good for our guts because that's is what our gut microbiome thrives on, like I was talking about earlier. So the basics, right? The basics, if you're eating a pro-inflammatory diet, it's going to be really hard to let allow the skin to heal up. And then there are things that you might not think about in regards to inflammation and triggers to, to the gut. The first one is alcohol. Don't shoot the messenger. But booze feeds the bad bugs in our guts. It also messes with the gut lining. It can like punch holes in the gut, essentially. And alcohol can also increase estrogens. So I'm speaking to anybody that has known estrogen dominance. Um, You got to cool it on the booze. Four alcoholic drinks per week can increase estrogen and tip you over into the estrogen dominant picture. picture. So really do some self-auditing with that. And then we also know that... um, estrogen dominance can contribute to some skin issues like acne. So you're, it's kind of like ruining it from many different angles. So definitely limit your use if you're trying to improve your skin. For some people, caffeine can be a little bit of a trigger for the skin. So think about that. Uh, glyphosate, definitely. Um, it's why it's very important to source out organic food as frequently as possible. BPA and plasticizers affect the microbiome. So that would in turn affect your skin. So limit or completely eliminate your exposure to plastic. Lack of sleep is huge at impacting the microbiome. Um, NSAID use. So this is like Advil and Tylenol. Um, how often are you utilizing those that can negatively impact the, the microbiome? And then obviously antibiotic use as well. Um, and NSAIDs not only impact the microbiome, they also can promote that leaky gut process. So basically all of those things can contribute to inflammation in the gut, which can contribute to inflammation in your skin. As far as like what does an anti-inflammatory diet look like, I can only go over that so many times here on the podcast without sounding like a broken record and people just like straight up getting bored. But if you find that you need more assistance and more of a plan to follow, like how to eat, how to follow an anti-inflammatory diet, then the nutrition plan outlined in Eat to Achieve is exactly how to do that. So that might be worth making a $99 purchase on my website and going through the program um, so you have a clear understanding of like what this actually looks like and how do I implement it, implement it into like my real life. Um, from there, you want to identify and then eliminate specific food sensitivities. When you eat a food that you're sensitive to, it inflames the gut and then that inflammation can show up on your skin. So, and this is when I, like what I was saying earlier is that this is really unique to you because something that is inflammatory to my body might not be inflammatory to your body. You know, um, I can't eat dairy, but some people can get away with dairy. So, There's really two ways to identify food intolerances. And if you haven't done this yet and you're struggling with skin issues, then I highly recommend. The gold standard way to test for food sensitivities is actually not a lab test. It's an elimination and provocation diet where you eliminate certain food protein for three weeks and then you add it back in. 
So my Eat to Achieve Nutrition Program does offer up an elimination style diet in level three of that program. There's three different levels, so you can kind of meet yourself where you're at. But if you're looking for an elimination diet, that walks you through exactly how to do it and how to add foods back in as well. With certain skin issues, there's definitely, and I'm going to, next week, I'm going to get into specific skin stuff like eczema, psoriasis, all that kind of stuff. Um, But just know that there's, in the literature, there's a lot of food sensitivities uh, linked to these conditions. So eczema and psoriasis are linked with gluten sensitivity. Uh, Eczema and acne are linked with dairy sensitivity. So I find that those two are are a really good place to start. If you haven't at least tried to take out gluten and dairy, I would start there to see if your skin improves and give it at least three weeks. Um, And again, Eat to Achieve allows you to do that. It's a gluten-free, dairy-free eating plan. So that's, it's pretty easy to pull off with that program. Now, I do want to say that if you've dabbled in elimination style diets for a while and you just like find them to be very anxiety producing, I totally get it. There's a lot of drawbacks. Even though it's the gold standard, it's not necessarily appropriate for everybody. It can be a total mind F. It can be really challenging. People as kind of a rule are pretty out of touch with their body. So it's hard for them to tell. It's hard to assess like, am I reacting to this or not? Like I can't really tell. So people get stuck. People get locked into food fear. It creates more food stress. Long-term elimination diets can create orthorexia-like tendencies. It can feel overly restrictive. If there's a history of an eating disorder, it might not be super super appropriate. And all of this stress can actually mimic food reactions. So it can be really hard to um, suss out like, am I just stressed? Am I just freaking out about food? Or am I actually reacting to this food? And so at that point, if you've experienced any of that that I've just talked about, at that point, it might make sense to invest in a food sensitivity test like an actual food sensitivity test. Um, You want to make sure you're doing it with a trusted company. Uh, The one that I use in my practice is through Vibrant Wellness. I think Cyrex does a really good job as well, but I like Vibrant Wellness. And the reason that I use it is because it provides a very in-depth and accurate look at true food sensitivities. So they examine the immune response to peptide, like the peptide level, um, which is smaller than a full protein level. And almost, not almost, all other food sensitivity tests are measuring um, are measuring antibodies to whole proteins, which are rarely what our immune systems are actually exposed to during digestion. So it's a very sensitive test. That's why that I like to do it, especially in when there's chronic conditions going on. We really want to nail down what is causing the inflammation in the body. When you purchase them, um, you also get a, a an analyzation call with me where I help you go over the test and tell you exactly what it means. All right, let's chat about where are we at for time? Okay, we're doing okay. Digestion. Let's talk about digestion because in order to address gut, we have to uh, take it from the top. Digestion is a top-down process. So if things aren't firing well at the top, then they're not going to work really that great further on down the track. And so digestion really begins in the brain. We have to switch over into parasympathetic 
response. So we have to switch our nervous system over into rest and digest response. Ideally, if we want everything to be copacetic with digestion, then we're chewing our food. The act of chewing not only breaks down food mechanically, as somebody in your hormone revival, um, they laughed because one of the things that I had said in one of the modules is your stomach doesn't have teeth. So you can't just like throw gobs of food down into your stomach and be like, good luck down there, right? We have, the reason we have teeth is we have to almost pre-digest our food. We have to break it up into smaller and smaller bits. And then that, that physical act of chewing also stimulates digestive juices further on down the track. It's like, it's like a signal to the rest of the, the digestive tract that like, hey, food is coming, get ready, giddy up. And one of the digestive juices is stomach acid. It's hydrochloric acid. And if we're not producing enough hydrochloric acid, this can absolutely lead to skin things, um, skin issues. So we have low stomach acid found in rosacea, in acne, in eczema, in psoriasis, in seborrheic dermatitis, in alopecia, lupus, hives, and vitiligo. Did I say it right? So that's a lot of skin stuff that we're finding low stomach acid in, right? So there's definitely a connection here. Um, other symptoms and signs of low stomach acid or hypochloridria would be bloating and distension after eating, indigestion, diarrhea, or constipation, heartburn, belching, excessive gas immediately after meals, a sense of fullness after eating where you just feel like food sits like a brick every time you eat, nausea, food reactions, bad breath, weak peeling and cracked fingernails, iron deficiency, hair loss in women, chronic or recurrent intestinal parasites or dysbiosis, undigested food in the stool, soreness in the mouth, tongue inflammation, and dry mouth. Those are all signs that you're not producing enough stomach acid. So we did, I went ahead and whipped up a guide for you. And then Lauren judged it up a little bit more. So we have been hard at work on a free guide for hydrochloric acid and how to supplement with it and how to supplement with digestive enzymes. So you can get that guide. I will link it in the show notes. You can get that guide on my website for free, erinholthealth.com um, forward slash digestive guide. You can grab that for free. And I, like I said, I will also link it up in the show notes. Um, I talked a little bit more. Episode 44, I answered a question about celery juice. So I also talked about the importance of proper stomach acid on that episode if you want to do a little bit of a deeper dive. But basically, without enough stomach acid, it's very difficult to digest protein and absorb minerals and certain vitamins like B12. You're also at an increased risk for food poisoning and other gut infections. Um hydrochloric acid is kind of like the first line of defense because we're bringing in the outside world into our bodies when we eat food. And so pathogens can come in and if it hits a super acidic environment, it's not going to thrive in that environment. So the, the hydrochloric acid, our stomach acid is going to kill them off. Uh, we also need hydrochloric acid for appropriate gallbladder and bile release. Um, so that's important for fat digestion, but bile is also important for detoxification. And as I teased out, if we have mucked up detox pathways in the body, 
um, that can also manifest as skin issues. So we need healthy bile release in order to pull toxins out of our body. Um, and if we don't, if we're not able to break down food or excuse me, break down fat, we need bile to emulsify fat. If we're not able to break down fat appropriately, then we're not going to have access to those fat soluble vitamins and the fatty acids that we need in order to keep our skin healthy. So you see how important digestion really is when it comes to the skin, um, We also need appropriate stomach acid to release pancreas enzyme release to break down the rest of our food. So all super important. And on top of that, with low stomach acid, and I think people don't really understand this. So I want you to to listen, especially if you have a tendency toward food sensitivities and food reactions. With low stomach acid, we're not breaking down proteins effectively. That can lead to more food sensitivities. We have to have healthy enzyme release. We have to have healthy acid release in order to not react to dietary proteins. So we take proteins that we eat in our food and we break them down into smaller structures called polypeptides. And then we break those down into even smaller peptides, right? That's what I was talking about. The vibrant wellness food sensitivity test looks at those smaller peptides. And then eventually we break them down into amino acids. The way that we start to break down proteins is with stomach acid. So if we don't have enough stomach acid, we're not breaking proteins down into amino acids. And we have to do that because once a protein is at the level of an amino acid, there's no antibody binding possibility. So our we can't launch a, an immune attack against an antibody. We can't launch an inflammatory cascade against an amino acid. So breaking down proteins in order to prevent food reactions and in order to event uh, prevent the inflammatory cascade is very important. And we need appropriate stomach acid in order to start that. So some red flags that you're not breaking down your protein is it feels like you're not digesting your food. Like you really feel that brick in your stomach, food is sitting heavy, or even having an aversion to protein meals. If you're like, I just can't stand animal proteins or high protein meals. It like makes me feel like, ugh, I don't have an appetite for it. That could be a good indication that you don't have enough stomach acid. So if any of this sounds familiar, go to my website, get the guide. You're going to want to read through that and um, figure out ways to help yourself out. So there are some, the next question usually is like, well, why would I, why would I have low stomach acid? Why am I not producing enough stomach acid? And There's multiple reasons for it. One of them is chronic stress. Chronic stress can suppress our stomach acid production. So that's always something to think about. Age can be another one. Um, Our stomach acid tends to decline with age. If you're taking acid blocking medications, obviously you're not going to be producing a lot of stomach acid because you're literally taking medication to stop that process. Um, Degeneration of the gut, autoimmune gastritis. Those are some more gnarly things. And then H. pylori is a huge reason for low stomach acid. And we are going to talk a little bit more about H. pylori. So uh, stay tuned for that. But I'm going to talk about this more in the guide, but just as um, a heads up, there are ways, natural ways to increase your stomach acid production 
remember the first thing is to chew your food. That is so big. It's so overlooked. Digestion really begins in the mouth. The act of chewing kind of greases the wheels. It tells your stomach to make some acid. So if you're not chewing your food, you might not be producing enough stomach acid. The second one is to lower your stress because chronic stress is one of the things that suppresses acid. But then in addition to that, some things that you can add in, lemon juice or apple cider vinegar, if you mix about one to two tablespoons of fresh lemon juice or apple cider vinegar into a little bit of water and drink it down 15 to 20 minutes before you eat, like before a big meal, this can help to stimulate your body's own production of hydrochloric acid. The trick I will say is like actually remembering to do it. And I feel like that's where compliance tends to be low, just because myself included, I never remember to do this. Um, so that is the, the trick is just remembering it. Bitters, taking digestive bitters in tincture form, also phenomenal at at stimulating uh, digestive juices, including bile as well. So that could be a great thing to do, but it's the same deal. You have to remember taking it 15 to 20 minutes ahead of time before you eat to really get the best effect. Um, any any herb company, um, you know, any big herb company like Gaia, Urban Moonshine, um, that are, are making herbal tinctures usually have a digestive bitter. So you can find those pretty, um, pretty easily. So I would recommend that. And then finally, you can just go whole hog and supplement with hydrochloric acid. Um, most of the supplements are called betaine hydrochloric acid with pepsin. The average dose is about 650 milligrams per pill. But the trick is that the dose is very individualized. Some people need one pill. Some people need seven pills per meal. So that is what my guide is all about. So if you want to tinker around with that, get the guide. Um, let's see what else. I think that is all I wanted to say about that. I had mentioned H. pylori, um, and how low stomach acid is a sign of H. pylori. And then there's some really interesting stats that I learned from Jessica, excuse me, Jennifer Fugo. She was on episode 87 where we talked about eczema, skin rashes, and what you need to know. Um, and she, uh, I saw on her Instagram actually recently that H. pylori is found in 72% of psoriasis, 74% of chronic hives, 65 to 70% of eczema and 65% of vitiligo. So vitiligo, nobody knows. Um, no, I'm sure people know. I, I don't know. I do not know how to say that word. Um, so that would be something, if you struggle with any of those, that could really be something to look into. And I talked, I did an entire episode on H. pylori, episode 88. It's all things gut, H. pylori, GERD, SIBO, candida, and more. So episode 88, we'll, we'll do a deep dive on H. pylori if those are some conditions that you that you struggle with. Um, all right, we're coming up on 50 minutes. So I'm going to pause here. And then next week, I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about leaky gut, how to test for it, how do you know if you have it, what to do. And then I'm going to get into specific skin problems like rosacea, acne, eczema. Um, what else did you guys ask me about? psoriasis, um, keratosis pilaris. Those are the big ones that I'm going to unpack next week. All right. So this is, this is the basics. We have to cover the basics before we get into, um, 
testing for certain things. So hopefully we unpacked a lot of things that you can try. You've got the guide so you can figure out how to implement some of this stuff and see if that moves the needle for you at all. And then next week, we're going to come back and give you even more information and suggestions. So as always, thank you for being here. I appreciate you and I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.